Welcome to the UMMC Bible Study Podcast, a podcast produced with students at UMMC. My name is Tim Chen, and I'm a former graduate of the UMC Medical School. Currently, I'm a family physician practicing in Mississippi. The goal of our podcast is to help our students and their families grow closer with the Lord and stronger in their faith and walk with God. With the rigors of school, it can be difficult to spend time with the Lord as well as fellowship with other believers. We hope that this podcast uplifts you during this challenging time and encourages you in your journey with God. Praise God for another opportunity to fellowship about His Word. Today I've got Dr. Paul Redman with me. Paul is a former UMMC med school graduate and is now practicing pediatric emergency medicine in Texas. It's good to have you back on, Paul. Hey, thanks, Tim. It's good to be back on the podcast. I uh, understand you've got a listening audience now outside of the uh, med school, so it's good to be here fellowshipping with those from all the different health specialties at UMMC. Well, Paul, we've had some very uplifting and encouraging examples lately from Abraham's life, but I feel like today's message is a necessary warning to us. And that is the story of Abraham and him having Ishmael. There are a lot of strong biblical truths and verses going on, so while we try to make our podcast very easy to listen to when you're driving or doing dishes, I do recommend stopping and paying close attention to what's being spoken today. We will be reading Genesis chapter 15 through 17. I encourage everyone to read all three chapters to get the whole picture, but because of time, Let me summarize what happened and then read a few key verses. In Genesis 15, 4-7, Jehovah promised Abram a seed that will come out from his own body. In fact, he promised Abram more descendants than the stars in heaven. And here in verse 6, it says, Abram believed Jehovah and it was accounted to him as righteousness. However, time passed and no seed. Sarai was getting older. Abram was getting older. The fertility clock was ticking. Sarai was well past advanced maternal age, but no seed. So Sarai suggested that Abram take Hagar, Sarai's servant, and bear the seed through her. And they were successful. Ishmael was born. A seed came forth through Abram's body, just like Jehovah promised. But now I want to read these two verses. In Genesis 16:16, it says, And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And then Genesis 17, 1. And when Abram was 99 years old, Jehovah appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the all-sufficient God. Walk before me and be perfect. Now in the end of 16, when Abram had Ishmael, he was 86. But in 17, 1, He was 99 years old, and the Bible was very particular about mentioning this. That's a 13-year gap. Paul, something happened here, so I'm going to turn it over to you. What's the significance of having Ishmael, and what's the consequence? Okay, so this is a really awesome section in the life of Abraham. And, okay, so what's the significance of having Ishmael and what's the consequence? Okay, I think the significance is Abraham trying to do something for God apart from God. 
or another way of saying it is Abraham trying to fulfill something that God has planned, but doing it by his flesh, doing it by his own ability, his own capability. Uh, You know, Tim, in a previous podcast, you've mentioned um, that there's these two trajectories that basically fork out of the Garden of Eden. You have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you have people all throughout Genesis that are either on the trajectory of the tree of life. That's a life dependent on God, relying on God. And then there's a trajectory of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's a life independent of God, not reliant on God. And what's interesting is when you come to Abraham, he's really the first one where we have a significant amount of history written in the book of Genesis where we can see that in one person, you have some vacillation back and forth between these two types of living. You know, sometimes Abraham lives utterly dependent on God, like when he left his homeland, whenever he was called by God to leave the city of Ur, and he left his homeland, he just went out. And Hebrew says he went out not knowing where he was going. So he just went out utterly dependent on God. But later on in his life, in particular, this portion in chapter 16, you see that he acted independent of God. He took something that God had promised, and he basically acted on it himself. And, you know, this is something that we, as Christians, experience all the time. You know, maybe, for instance, we had a calling to go to medical school, and so what do we do? We, we do our best. We go to medical school. And then we spend four years of medical school basically forgetting about God. We neglect time in his word. We neglect spending time in prayer. We neglect fellowship with other believers. We basically receive this calling, and then we try to carry it out entirely independent of God. And what this portion in Genesis shows us is that this is actually something that is hateful, honestly, in the sight of God. I say that because when you look at chapter 15, when God made this promise to Abraham that he would have a son, all Abraham did, the only thing he did, according to verse 6, was he believed God. He just believed God. And it says that, that alone was accounted to him as righteousness. But when you get to chapter 16 and you see Abraham act on this of his own will, of his own ability, of his own volition, what you end up with, you asked what the consequence was of this behavior, what you end up with is at the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17, you see a 13-year gap where there is no mention whatsoever of Abraham's life, which indicates that God and Abraham, there was some separation there. There was it's, It would seem to indicate that there was no interaction between the two, that God, for a certain period of time, left Abraham's presence. Whereas before, you see Abraham and God interacting a lot, and even afterwards, you see God and Abraham interacting a lot. The Bible leaves out this 13-year gap after this episode, I guess, of Abraham and Hagar. And if you correlate this with Galatians, particularly in verse 16, you see that Paul the Apostle says that a man is not justified out of works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is doing in Galatians is he's 
contrasting the works of the law, the works of the flesh, basically doing your best, trying your best to fulfill God's requirements, versus faith. And in Abraham's time, you had the same juxtaposition, faith in God versus your own ability, your own capability to fulfill what God wanted to fulfill. And in Galatians 2, Paul is addressing the believers in Galatia who were trying to do the same thing. Rather than faith in Christ, they were trying to fulfill outward requirements, trying to even please God outwardly by keeping the law, even maybe keeping some of their own commandments. But rather, what Paul says in verse 29 of chapter 2 is he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. And I don't know about you, but if there's one thing I don't want to do to my Lord and Savior, it's to nullify his grace and the work that he has accomplished on the cross. And so this is what happened to Abraham. He nullified the grace of God. Whereas rather than waiting on God, rather than allowing God to carry out his plan in his own time, Abraham took what God had promised and tried to fulfill it on his own. You know, there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 40, I believe it's verse 31, which says, Those who wait on Jehovah will renew their strength. They will mount up with eagle's wings. They will run and they will not faint. They shall walk and shall not be troubled. And I think this verse is such a contrast to what Abraham experienced in this endeavor to have a son. Surely, after a certain point in time, they were getting old, and he was wondering, what about this promise, God? What about this son that you've promised me? And unfortunately, like many of us, and like we experience all the time, we decide not to wait on Jehovah. We decide not to wait on God, but rather to act of our own accord. And as a result, we nullify God's grace. And as you see, Abraham lost God's presence probably for that entire 13 years. Hang on a second, Paul. I've got to take some notes because there's so much you're bringing out. I feel like this is one of the most crucial points in our Christian life. And it's something that we see over and over, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And that is people trying to please God apart from God. Or another way to put it, people trying to carry out God's promise or plan without God. And I like how you brought in Galatians because actually in Galatians chapter 4, Paul joins this story of Hagar and Sarah, not to the matter of good and evil, but to the matter of trying to satisfy God and do good according to the law versus satisfying God by living in faith. And I like how you brought in Galatians 2.21 which says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. The Bible was careful to mention this 13-year gap because what Abram did seriously offended God. If we look at it from the viewpoint of Galatians 2.21, Abram essentially said Christ died needlessly. I can do it on my own, Lord. Thanks for the promise. I got it from here. I don't need you. It's the same for us today. I truly believe that God called me to be a physician, that God called you to be a physician, but medical school is hectic and crazy busy. I mean, life is hectic and busy, and it's so easy to just put God to the side, or even just superficially do our religious duty. We say we're trusting God, but really in our heart, 
we know that we really are just doing this ourselves apart from God. And when I'm saying this, I'm talking about me first. This was a common experience I had in medical school. I got bogged down in my studies. I got bogged down and busy in my rotations. And soon I was just doing it completely apart from God. And I'm so thankful there were Christian brothers here that constantly reoriented me back to the Lord. Paul, let's keep going because Abram's experience isn't just with Ishmael. He also had an experience with Isaac. And his experience in having Isaac is pretty different, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. This is, I mean, completely different from Abraham's experience with Isaac, which follows this 13-year period of silence. Basically, God promises Isaac, Abraham fails in his own effort, and then in chapter 17, God reappears to Abraham, and he, he announces himself to Abraham with a new title, actually a title that we haven't seen God called by in the book of Genesis prior to this chapter. And that title is the All-Sufficient God. He comes to Abraham after this 13-year period of seeming silence, and he introduces himself as the Hebrew there is El Shaddai, which basically implies the udder of a cow. No joke. That That is the implication, is that it is... It's like the maternal supply of milk on a cow. And he introduces himself to Abraham like that, and it's translated as all-sufficient God. And you just consider, you know, little baby animals, little baby humans, you know. They need their mother's milk, and everything that they need, everything that they rely on, is dependent on that person supplying them with milk. And God comes and he introduces himself to Abraham and he says, I am that. I am the all-sufficient one. You, basically implying that you, Abraham, are not sufficient. No matter what you try to do, no matter how hard you work, it doesn't matter. You are not the sufficient one to meet my promises, to carry out my will. You need me. I am the all-sufficient one. And then later, in verse 10 of chapter 17... He tells Abraham, this son, Isaac, you will need to circumcise him. And we know from the New Testament, the whole point of circumcision, it wasn't, you know, because it's more sanitary or, you know, (laughs) decreases urinary tract infections or anything like that. It was because it was a sign of the flesh. According to both Galatians and Colossians, Paul talks about the circumcision, or actually the uncircumcision, being a type of the flesh of man. Doing something in your own capability according to your flesh to carry out something according to God's need apart from God. And so when God came to Abraham, he said, when you have this son as a sign, you will circumcise him. You will cut off that flesh. And we see in the New Testament, that's really our experience. When we believe into the Lord Jesus, according to the New Testament, our flesh, in a sense, gets cut off. And we have to crucify our flesh, according to Romans and Galatians. And again, it goes back to this matter of we live just like Abraham. There are times when we operate exclusively in our flesh, completely apart from God. But we need to learn to walk according to the Spirit, and cut off our flesh and deny our flesh even so that we are allowing God's grace to function and to operate in our daily living, that we are allowing God to be our all-sufficient supply. 
Man, every time we fellowship, Paul, I'm just in awe of how awesome our God is. I want to emphasize two things in what you just said. Number one is the all-sufficient God. I think a lot of Bible translations translate El Shaddai as Lord Almighty. But if you Google the literal Hebrew meaning, it implies that God is a source of everything for you. And this is significant because Abram needed to be reminded that Abram, no, you are not sufficient. Yes, you can do a lot of things apart from me, but that's in your flesh. That's not in faith. You need me to be everything to you, which brings me to the second point. Many people associate living in the flesh as just doing things that are constantly evil, right? It's easy to see murder, adultery, lying as living in the flesh. But there are plenty of examples of people doing good things, trying to serve God, but in the flesh. Just look around. There are many unbelievers that do some very good things for the world that have nothing to do with God. God doesn't care for that either. It doesn't matter so much what you're doing. If you're doing it independent of God, then it's still offensive to God. That's why with Isaac, God brought in this matter of circumcision to emphasize to Abraham, don't go to your flesh again to serve me or fulfill my promises. Depend on me. I'm the all-sufficient one. What a great reminder for us. Paul, as a fellow believer, it's a blessing to see this point, and it really is a warning to us. Yes, God gave us a promise, a blessing, but even the way we carry it out is very important. Now, a pitfall for us is I don't want to be in a state where I'm second-guessing everything I do constantly. In this story of Abraham, is there something that told Abraham that he was going in God's way versus doing it in his flesh? You know, Tim, I think probably one thing that reassured Abraham that he was taking God's way or going God's way was having God's presence. You know, you have to wonder if after 13 years of being alone, having received a promise, if it made him more desperate, more dependent, and even more keen to the presence of Jehovah. Oftentimes we go about our whole day and don't have any awareness at all whether or not we're apart from the Lord or if we're in his presence. You know, over time we should become more keen to the Lord's presence and living and walking in his presence. You know, the very next chapter, chapter 18, gives us actually a really, really awesome picture of Abraham living in the presence of God There's a scene where he has basically lunch, I guess, with God. And then God kind of opens his heart to Abraham about Sodom. And then they have this back and forth, (laughs) almost like bartering discussion. Very intimate, very personal, like they knew each other. And this is why 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7 calls Abraham the friend of God. And then I think James reiterates that in James chapter 2, that Abraham was the friend of God. What a sweet title. I mean, wouldn't you love to have that title, to be called the friend of God? Well, I think it was because ultimately Abraham learned from his failure and learned how to spend time with God and how to walk with God, how to seek God's presence And not to rely on his own doing, but to really wait on Jehovah and walk with Jehovah. And I really think that probably was his surety or his assurance 
that he was following Jehovah and taking God's way. You know, Paul, I really appreciate all the fellowship today. I just want to emphasize how much I love the Bible. You know, if I wrote a holy book that I wanted people to follow, I wouldn't keep any record of the mistakes that the patriarchs made. But one of the things that makes the Bible so awesome is that it keeps the mistakes in, even the most horrible ones, so that we could learn, that we could be adjusted and trained. Sometimes the fellowship we have on this podcast is so uplifting and encouraging, but sometimes it's serious and somber. To be honest, I wanted to skip this part because I thought it might be too heavy of a word to speak on the podcast. But whether it's happy or sobering, we have to be honest before God. We have to be faithful to His Word. Today's message reminds me of Haggai 1.7, which tells us to consider carefully our ways. The goal of today's speaking isn't to condemn or judge, but it's to cause us, to cause me to come to God, to be in His presence, to carefully consider my ways. Am I attempting to serve God according to God, or am I trying to serve God according to my flesh? Do I have God's presence in what I'm doing, or am I just congratulating myself for doing a good job, but I'm completely apart from God? If I have God's presence, then praise the Lord. Let's keep going. But if I find that I'm actually just doing this all on my own, I need to confess and repent and turn back to God. And I would say in my personal experience, this isn't a one-time thing, but rather this is a daily, moment-by-moment practice. Can you imagine if we had 10 students at UMMC that are learning to live this way, that are learning to trust and follow our all-sufficient God, that have no confidence in their flesh? Now imagine if we all got together into a community of Christians to fellowship and build each other up, and then we go out to our classrooms, to the hospital, to the clinic. What kind of impact God could do on that campus? I pray that today's podcast touches us all and causes us all to turn our hearts to God and allow Him to shine on us, to work in us, to show us where we are, and to cause us to come back and live by faith. Feel free to share today's podcast with all your friends and family. And again, if you haven't yet, like us on Facebook and follow us at Christians at UMMC to get our most up-to-date information concerning get-togethers and future in-person functions. Thanks again, everyone, for your time. And see y'all next week. Thanks again, Paul. So praise the Christ of truth and grace. His Spirit dwelleth in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. With longing all my heart is filled That like Him I may be As on the wondrous thought I dwell That Christ liveth in me Christ liveth in me
salvation this that Christ liveth